Hello and welcome to the Law Blacks one-to-one podcast. My name's Chris Allen. I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. I've worked in West Yorkshire now for over 25 years and during that time I've met some very interesting people, both in the business world, the sports world, in all sorts of different arenas. And over the next few weeks I'm hoping to catch up with more of those people and sharing some of their opinions, advice and stories. I hope you find the interviews interesting, engaging and even educational. As ever at this point in the podcast, we tip the hat to Pete Bott and his band Deuce and Charger for very kindly letting us use their music on the podcast. So thank you again, Pete. Pete's got his own podcast, so if you like drum and bass, and my guest today I'm sure does, uh, please go and listen to Deuce and Charger. You'll, uh, You'll enjoy their music. Now, my guest today is unusual in that he's one of those rare people who's good at not only one thing, but indeed two things, a qualified pharmacist and an increasingly renowned and respected author. Amit Dand has published five books, four of which, and this is really what triggered my uh, selfish interest, uh, based in the Bradford City region and feature the exploits of police officer Harry Verdi. Amit and I met briefly at the Bradford Law Society dinner and I've invited him in today to discuss his career to date and where he and Harry are heading and what advice he can give to budding authors out there. So, Amit, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me on, Chris. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming. So, fellow Bradfordian. Indeed. So, of course, we're immediately bonding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just tell us about your upbringing. Just tell us about being brought up in Bradford. And, and, and just take me through to how you actually start putting pen to paper and start believing that you're going to be an author. So my parents moved uh, to Bradford in 1982. Uh, they bought a corner shop uh, in Thornbury, and we were the first Asian people to move into that estate. And uh, believe it or not, on the first day of business, um, many uh, many locals on the estate came into the shop to cancel their newspapers because the ethnics had moved in, and this was the start of the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12 o'clock, opening morning, uh, elderly gentleman dropped dead of a heart attack in the middle of the shop. I mean, talk about the worst possible start to business you could possibly imagine. And um, the, the last thing you want at that point is uh, my grandmother to come downstairs dressed in a, in a sari and start lighting some incense and chanting. She was chanting prayers to, to ward the spirits away, but all the white people could see was uh, voodoo witch doctors killing white yeah. people. Absolute catastrophe. But my dad said, no, we're going to stay. We're going we're gonna to win. You know, we will, we will show that we are, uh, you know, we're going to integrate and succeed here. Um, and, the, and the legacy of the corner shop was born. Really, we uh, we worked really hard. Um, it was tough on that estate, mm. you know, at times. But uh, my dad was he was he was very sort of determined and focused that not only would we integrate but we'd be successful. So yeah, my 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 journey in Bradford started off behind a corner shop counter, and I think I, I've never really kind of left that behind. I feel most comfortable when I'm behind a counter, talking to people, engaging people, serving people. Which is probably why I became a pharmacist, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, so I went um, when I was, I always wanted to be a writer. I was always creating ridiculous stories. And I think it was mostly because I was reading Stephen King at the age of like 10 or 11. Um, and all of my peers were reading books that they were supposed to read. But my, my imagination was so vivid um, that I was writing stories about being you know, sort of kidnapped in the forest or monsters or aliens or whatever it was I was reading, I was, I was writing it down. But my parents said, "Look, you can't become a writer because it doesn't pay the bills. You know, you need to do. You need to become a pharmacist because it's a good steady income." Um, and they, uh, they, well, everybody encouraged me uh, to, to to do that and, and not to write because, to be honest, I wasn't that I wasn't that good at English. I was I was a hard worker, 
And I, there's a big misconception that you have to be really good at English to become a writer. But I was always a natural storyteller. And I always say that about myself now, that I'm a storyteller as opposed to a writer. Because when you say writer, people think that you know exactly how to use a semicolon. I've got to be honest, I still don't know how to use no. a semicolon. Tricky. Um, but I'm, I could always weave a good story out of, out of very little. So, yeah, I went to Bradford University. I stayed local just to help the parents in the corner shop because, mm. you know, we didn't have much money. Um, so I stayed local so we didn't have to worry about accommodation expenses. And, yeah, five years at Bradford, I qualified as a pharmacist. And so it sounds like you were pretty self-driven on the, you know, on the writing front, but was there anybody at school or anybody, you know, was it mum or dad or somebody at school who was inspiring you or encouraging you? How did you...? No, nothing. Um, I, I, I wasn't encouraged at all to write. And I, I mean, I kept a diary when I was younger and I used to, you know, pour my heart out onto, you know, these teenage diaries when you just, you know, you think the world's against you or you've got a broken heart or <laughs> something's going wrong. And I, so I was always tapping away at a keyboard. Um, but it was never... It was never encouraged, and, and to this day, my 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 family is is flummoxed that I I became a, a writer. They, they can't quite believe it. So, how does the pharmacy side sit uh, now? Are we are you still practicing pharmacist as well as being an author? Yeah, or? I was just I was just at work before I came here. Oh, yeah. To be honest, so <laughs> yeah. uh, no. What happened was I um I loved reading, but I, I kind of forgot about it when you get to university and get into exams, and then I qualified. I worked in London for a bit, didn't enjoy it because I'm I'm a Yorkshire lad at heart. And um, I came back and I was working at a pharmacy and one of, one of the staff there gave me a book by an author called Tess Gerritsen and it had been oh, probably a good five years since I'd read a book and uh, no concept what was about to happen to me. I, I took it home on a Friday night, um, started reading it and I just couldn't put it down. You know, it was utterly terrifying. It was such a good thriller and I finished it a Sunday morning at one in the morning and, and as soon as I'd finished it, I immediately went downstairs and checked that my windows and doors are locked, which makes no sense at all because the serial killer in The Surgeon picks on vulnerable women, right. and I'm quite clearly not a vulnerable woman. <laughs> no. But she'd got inside my head, and I, I just, just love affair with... I just thought, I, I need to write. Um, I want to be able to do that. What also inspired me was Tess Gerritsen is a doctor of Chinese descent. She's American. But she, she qualified as a, as a GP, and she worked as a doctor for years, but she loved writing. I thought, well, hang on, she's a doctor qualified. And then she went on to become a writer. So maybe this pharmacist can try it. I also realised that there was no Asian crime writers at that time. Mm. Uh, and everyone had said, oh, Asian people don't write crime. They write wonderfully, wonderful works of literary fiction that win Man Booker Prizes. But they don't write crime fiction. And I thought, well, crime fiction is the best-selling genre. Let me have a shot. So I started writing. Uh, I remember the date. It was the, the 1st of September 2006. And I put pen to paper. Right. This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Black Solicitors. Black is a law firm based in Leeds, and we provide a range of commercial, property, and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. And was there an immediate success? I mean, it's a few years before no, I, <laughs> your first book gets published without no, sort of ten uh, years of failure. giving you the answer. Yeah, no, it yeah. was 10 years of failure. So I wrote 1.2 million unsuccessful words. I think I wrote 100,000 words every year whilst I was unsuccessful. Um, and because it's really hard and, and it's, a, it's a skill that you have to develop and you have to love doing it. Um, I don't think anybody really, well, they shouldn't anyway. People shouldn't become writers because they want to pay the mortgage off. It yeah. doesn't really work that way. But if you love doing something, then you never really do a day's work. And I just loved tapping away and creating you know 
Armageddon type stories. And is that how you write on a keyboard, or do you write longhand? Oh no, I type much. So you just type it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to um, straight onto the computer, and um, I just—I mean, I got an agent reasonably quickly, and then I, I failed with her for four consecutive years. Yeah, well, talk, talk to me about that. That's an interesting. Side. So you find an agent, and how did you find an agent, or did they? Yeah, find so you? there's um, there's a book called the Writers and Artists Yearbook. So I'd I'd written. So what I did was I, I started writing. And then I wrote, it took me about a year and a half, I'd, I'd got 100,000 words, and I, um, I found my English teacher at school, and I said, he won't, won't mind reading this book, would you, that I've written? And he said, you've written a book? And I said, yeah. And, you know, because I, I was just never that good at English at school. Uh, so I gave it to him, and it took him three months to read, which is probably my first, should have been my first clue. Yeah. And he gave it back to me, and he said, it's awful, it's really awful. You know, you're, again, you've got a real flair for telling stories, but my God, you need to learn how to write. Um, and he said, in edit, it, it needs a really good edit. So I took my 100,000 words and I edited it and it became 99,950. And I thought, yeah, well done. editing done. I thought, so I'll, uh, I'll send it to a, a manuscript assessment company because I didn't really believe that my English teacher was right. So I, I paid 1,500 quid, which is a hell of a lot of money. And I sent it to this, the best manuscript assessment company in, in, in the UK. And uh, they took three months and they sent it to me back and they said, it's awful, it's really awful, you know, learn how to write. <laughs> Not quite as brutally, it was like a 10-page report. But ultimately, it, they said exactly the same as my, my teacher had said, which was, this really needs a lot of work. So I didn't believe them because writers are stubborn and I thought, mm-hmm. well, they don't know what they're talking about. I'll get an agent. So I, um, I got the Writers and Artists Yearbook and it said you should approach, you know, one agent at a time. So I made a list of 30. Uh, and then I, I got, you know, 110 grams. I always remember this. It was, like, it was 110 grams of paper, which was like posh paper. Yeah. And nice. it was it was like, it had some kind of shapes or designs on it, which, you know, in your hand it felt thick. And, yeah. And I got quality. Posh, quality. Quality. And I got some posh envelopes and I printed off like 30 of these letters and, and found the agents and I got the agents' names. And then I, I sent off 30 applications as opposed to the one at a time job. And then after about a week, I got my I got my first rejection. It was absolutely heartbreaking. I, t- I turned to drink. I got my second rejection. I turned to drugs. It's not that difficult. I'm a pharmacist. <laughs> but by the time you've got 30 rejections, you tend to think, you know what? It's probably not very good. Um, and uh, I thought, I, bet, I better start doing something else. Um, but then I got a phone call from an agent. And at, at home on my wall, I'd got a list of three agents. That in Dreamland, they would call me. And this lady was top of the list. And I thought, hey, up. And she said, look, you know, you sound quite interesting. You know, it's a really... You know, it's a, it's a fierce story that you've written here. Lots of energy. Let's meet up. So I went down to London, met with her, signed a contract, 1st of the 8th, 2008. Remember that date as well? Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, your book could do with a really good edit. And I said, no, I've heard that before. And she goes, no, I mean, take it to pieces and put it back together again. So I worked with her for three years. Um, but I, every time I did it, I just kept murdering it and butchering it. And it just yeah. got to the point where she said, you need to write something else. Yeah. And it was really hard. That was that was one of the toughest conversations I've had. Are we still with this agent today? Uh, no, I left her in 2011 right. um, when I, I delivered my new manuscript to her, and she didn't like it. Um, right. So I said, "Look, I'm." Uh, what happened was I was, I was, I didn't know what to do, and I, at the same time as she rejected my my manuscript, I won a literary competition in Scotland, and I, I came first out of 80 uh, submissions. And I went there. My prize was a crime writing weekend in Scotland, so up I went to Scotland met everybody there and they said you know your manuscript's really good there's not really much we can say you might mm-hmm. need to find a different agent so um which is what i did I, I just wrote to my agent i said i'm sorry you don't feel it's a good enough manuscript but i'm gonna have to leave and she said no i understand you know best of luck mm-hmm. um now what happened was the um that competition that won there was a lady who came seventh and she signed a huge publishing deal um about a few months later and i thought hang on she came seventh i came first right, mathematically i've got to be seven times better than she is <laughs> so i uh, i emailed the agent which is not something that you're supposed to do and i said i'm not being cheeky mate 
but I am. Um, do you want to read my manuscript? Because, you know, I came first and she came seventh. And uh, he replied and said, go on then, let's have a look. And uh, I signed with him a month later. Right. Um, and so he was going to send out my manuscript, which was called Fields of Blood, which is the first novel yeah. I ever wrote. Um, but at the same time, because he'd signed me and I was so excited that he was going to send my manuscript out to publishers. Uh, Streets of Darkness, which, I, which is what I'd been working on for 10 years, mm. suddenly just came to me fully formed in my head. I thought, you know, I've done this for 10 years, but I'd had a couple of years off from it. And I just knew what the storyline should be. So I said to my wife, I'm going to write Streets of Darkness. And she was heavily pregnant. And she said, right, I'm going to, do, I'm going to give birth in five weeks. So you've got five weeks to deliver this yeah. book. Oh, I swear to God, I'll divorce you because I can't be ignored anymore. <laughs> and I thought that's reasonable. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I, I took five weeks and I did this manuscript in five weeks, Streets of Darkness. And when you finished it, did you, did knew, you think to yourself, uh, yeah. as good as this? Yes, I knew. I thought, I thought, I've got it. I've landed this. So I, I phoned my agent. I said, I've just written another book. And he said, never before I've had an author send me two manuscripts and I haven't even done something with your first one. And I said, look, just have a look at this because I've worked on this a long time and, and I think it's just fully formed in my head. And he read it and he said, I don't need to do anything with uh, with this. This is the one. We'll leave the other one on the back burner. He says, where do you want to send it? And I says, well, can we send it to Bantam? Because they t- published Tess Gerritsen and Lee Child and Dan Brown. And he says, you know, they're really difficult to, to crack. You know, they only buy about four crime books a year. You know, uh, I haven't sold a book to them for about 10 years. Are you sure? And I said, look, I've been rejected for 10 years, mate. One more is not going to make no difference yeah. whatsoever. Hey, I'm used to it. But because uh, there's such a big twist at the end of Streets of Darkness, I thought, Dan Brown, I can never get the twist in his book. And I thought, maybe, I just thought in my head, maybe if the publisher reads it and I fool him and he likes it, he might buy it. So we sent it to them as an exclusive on Friday and they bought it Monday morning. Wow. And uh, my, my publication good. journey was as simple and as straightforward as that. And if, I, if we went back to that day now, do you think there's something you could have done differently in the previous 10 years? Or is that just no. the is that just the good fortune, the sliding doors moment? I don't where, think it's good fortune. You, I think your cards uh, fell right that day. Yeah, I don't think it's good fortune. I think hard work pays off in the end, and I'm I'm quite relentless when I put my mind to something. I'm mm. I'm, I get it from my dad. You see, I'm going back to the corner shop days. He was like, you know, we will not fail. It doesn't matter what it takes. We're all in. Yeah, it's it's a war of attrition. You know, we will succeed. Um, and I think I've just got that from him. I just I wasn't willing to quit. I didn't care how long it took me. I didn't care how much work I had to do. Um, I was not going to quit. And there still hadn't been an Asian crime author and I wanted to be no. the first. So I guess that motivated me as well. Yeah. And uh, the reaction, I mean, the first book um, wasn't about Bradford, was it? That was uh, No, uh, Fields of Blood was Fields about the partition of India. But uh, then the Streets of Darkness definitely is about Bradford. Yeah, all of my books since yeah. all five. Now, thereafter, have all been about. Yeah, all about and, and talk to me about Harry Verdi then. Talk to me about your, your is he a hero, anti-hero, what is he? Yeah, I've probably both, to be honest. I mean, I was very I was very aware, and I'm still very aware, that we've never had an Asian hero um, lead character in the Western world on TV or in literature. You know, there's simply one doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, Asian authors can sometimes make, like I said before, you know, wonderful literary works of fiction, but it tends to be one here, and then five years later another one comes out. There'd been no crime series with a really fierce, formidable hero, like, you know, sort of Luther or Jack mm. Bauer or Jason Bourne. Um, and it feeds into a lot of narratives because there's quite a lot, and especially the times we're living, there's quite a, a large disconnect um, of Asian people thinking that they don't matter, that they're not, they're mm. not, they're not cool, and they're not edgy. And, and a lot of it comes from, you know, the Asian media has, has mostly been focused on comedy. Goodness gracious me, was the first standout and breakout series to yeah. hit, to hit mainstream. Uh, and, and and it's always been about comedy, but there's never been any kind of dark, edgy, really no. hard hitting thrillers um so for me harry verdi was i want i wrote him thinking i want my kids to grow up 
when they turn to literature and they want to read about a Luther or Jason, a Jack Bauer or Jason Bourne, that I can say, well, here's a brown hero for you, and he's called Harry Verdi, and he's absolutely fierce and formidable. Yeah. So I had that in the back of my mind that I wanted to inspire a generation of readers that they could they could connect and associate with the character. And when um, you, sorry, when you put that first book together and you finish it, did you think to yourself, yes, I can see this character, I'm going to keep going with this character into other books, or did you think he was a one-book Oh no, he was he was he was uh, a series character, yeah. and and it's strange because I'd written him for ten years, and I'd written him as, I think, well, I'd fallen into cliches, so I'd written him as an alcoholic, a workaholic, because all the detective stories I'd read, that's all, that's what happened, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't credible to him, and and only when I, that penny finally dropped, and I thought, do you know what, I keep failing because I don't know that world, mm. but what, the world that I do know is of family loyalty, um, of religion, race, and Bradford, and I I simply started there and I thought I'm going to write a character that I know everything about uh, and the minute I did that literally you know I the, the manuscript that I delivered after five weeks albeit I had a million words on my laptop yeah. you know and I, I I did sort of take some bits and chop and change some bits that manuscript that I sent to the publishers the manuscript that you read in the book today I think there was three paragraphs cut out of it yeah. because it had been it had been festering for such a long time and it's it just landed fully formed but Harry is someone that you can't predict there's no cliches there's no stereotypes doesn't speak with an asian accent he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't succumb to sort of the, the same things that asian people might have done he's utterly fiercely british he's like a british mm. bulldog albeit he's got brown skin and we'd never seen someone like that before and i just really wanted to inspire a new generation of readers uh whether you bme or not to, to to come across a character that they'd never seen the likes of before any of his characteristics, your characteristics, or a good friend of yours' characteristics, or you know, wherever you, it's, you, yeah, know, where you got him from? He's, he's a lot like me. Um, it was it horrifies people when I say there's there's not much that Harry Verdi does that I don't think I would do because he does some really really dark stuff in the books. Um, but I, 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 what I really enjoy about him is, and I do this in every book, is I take him right to the edge. I mean, I, I put him through hell in every book. I'm so awful to him sometimes. Um, but he does he does stupid stuff to himself as well. It's really bizarre because I know I'm writing him, but he simply takes over. So I know I'm tapping the words, and all authors will say this, and it sounds like you've got schizophrenia. But like for the latest book, like he was in a he was in a really bad situation, and he's in a car, and all I was thinking was, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car. But the last thing he did was open the door and got out of the car. <laughs> so he gets out of the car, and I'm thinking, there's absolutely no way that I can save you here, right? You're in, you're in an extremist stronghold. It's one way in, one way out. It's a tower block. They don't like you. There's like 50 to 1. I can't help you. And, I, and because he's got out of the car, that's what happened. And literally, it took me a month to get him out. And every day, he said, Oi, I'm still here. I'm about to get my head kicked in. How are you going to get me out of here? Yeah. And that's what they do. They just talk. And every day, he was talking to me. And I was thinking, I've no idea how to get you out of this. Because you can't get him to get, go back in the car because he's yeah. got out of the car. So they do live their own little world. And they exist in your mind. And you're desperately trying to untangle the knots to get him where he needs to be. Yeah. So it's, yeah, he's, he's, it's a fascinating process when you're writing because there are certain things that your characters do that you can't plan for that you can't predict but the minute that they've done them they, they can't go back because that's the character's done that and then you have to figure out a way to save him um and, and which i spend a lot of my books saving harry verdi so the the subsequent books then books two three four were they easier to write now that you've cracked the harry verdi character and you've got your scene of bradford and Obviously, you've got to come up with a new story each time. But did you find that an, an easier experience, or was uh, that so harder? Streets of Darkness, like I said, that was. Although it took ten years, the the, the draft that I actually wrote wasn't that difficult because I knew everything about it. Girl Zero was really difficult to write, and they always say it's book two is always your crisis moment because 
you know you have to deliver and then it's all brand new ideas so easy from a point of view that i knew everything about harry and his world and his family difficult because um it's just that book two crisis and it was i, I think probably set myself a really big task the storyline was so convoluted and complex you know i was in the whole i was in, i was in the grooming world i was in sort of you know and I, and I give myself so streets of darkness is an 18 hour thrill Girls, if I was a bit tired, so I thought I'd give myself two days. It's a two-day plot. It takes two days. City of Sinners is three days. And then with One Way Out, my latest book, I went back to 18 hours. So yeah. I really, I like really short time frames because yeah. it gives you that feeling of 24. I don't know if anybody's sort of seen the movie 24, but that inspires me to write because I want my books to read like I'm watching a series yeah, of that. It's real which pace is just to them. utter pace, yeah, and I'm obsessed with pace. Um, so book two was, was hard. Book three wasn't hard, difficult at all because I had yeah. got the storyline for a long time. But I couldn't write book three as two. Two had to come first, then three. So three wasn't difficult. Uh, four, the one I've just done, was really hard because um, it's you know it's terrorism, it's Bradford, and I'd created I'd, I'd created a scenario where um, there's a terrorist bomb goes off in the first chapter, um, and it blows at the centre of City Park, mm. and then the terrorist organisation have planted a bomb in, in one of the 104 mosques in Bradford, yeah. and they say that it's Friday prayers, all the mosques are full, and they say if anybody leaves any of the mosques, they will detonate the bomb. Yeah. So you've got 104 locations, all full of worshippers, one bomb in them, and you've got a 12-hour window to find out how to unravel this mess. I mean, it was such a huge plot, mm. and but I'd set myself the task to deliver it, and I, I, I think there was there were so many times when I thought, I've just set myself too big a, a mountain yeah. here, but um, no, I managed to pull it off in the end. It was an absolute brutal delivery, though. Book four. It could have been um, only worse if you'd have set it off in a shop in a shopping mall. In a shopping so mall, yeah. I just wanted to create that kind. Of, I had one eye on sort of TV and adaptations, and I just thought if I'm going to write, I, I like writing my books. They're very visual because um, I've always got one eye on adaptations for screen. Um, and Streets of Darkness is being adapted for screen by the BBC, so that was really exciting. Uh, well, um, just what I was going to come to. So I've always got that in the back of my mind: is that I want a series that continues. Yeah. So, so. That's that's in fruition now, isn't it? The te- yeah. the television. So tell me about your role in that because my perception might be wrong. My perception is once writers sort of hand over their rights to the TV or the film producers, the film doesn't always look like the book. How big a role have you got? How big a role could you negotiate into how people are cast, how people are selected? How the plot goes. Yeah, I mean the the, the adaptations of the books. So because for screen is is much uh, it's a much different medium to, to reading books. So you, what you can see in uh, and I've learned this uh, what you can see in a couple of seconds might take me two or three chapters to write and create. Mm. You know because we see things quicker than what we, how we read them. So you have to be able to visually adapt the book for screen. Um, so that's a, a different process. Um, now I had a first go at the script because when we were negotiating it was quite competitive in terms of there was lots of people who wanted to adapt Streets of Darkness I said go on let me have a shot at it um, and funny enough my agent had always said to me that in meetings if somebody asks you how to do something the answer should always be yes and you figure it out later so in the meeting um, the, the gentleman who bought the rights said do you know how to write a script and I was like yep no problem mate and he was like can you do it in a couple of months and I was like no worries at all I'll, I'll get that sorted no and problem I, came out and spoke to my agent and said, oh, you know, this is what he said and this is what I said. And he said, what did you do that for? And I said, you told me to always say yes. And he said, yes, yeah, sometimes you should say no. So I wrote this awful script in about eight weeks, never written a script before. It's absolutely awful. And Paul was just like, you don't know how to write a script even. I was like, no, I don't know how to do it. And he said, but I think you've got some, some talent there. Let's, let's, let, let's work with you on it. So I worked on it for about 18 months um, and sent it into uh, the BBC and it didn't quite, it wasn't quite where it needed to be. 
Um, and it wasn't because I've we've got a new scriptwriter on board, and when I compare her work to mine, I'm just like, wow, that's that's some serious skill that they've got to do it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, it's in development. It's not been greenlit yet. Um, that's the gold standard when you get a green light. Um, but I'm hopeful. I think you know we've got an interesting six months ahead of us, uh, and all, all everything points towards some success. And if that gets made, would it be a series or a one-off? Six-part drama. A yeah. six-part drama. Yeah, for Streets of Darkness. Okay, fingers crossed. So. We set off working in the shop. We become a pharmacist. Mm. Mum and dad are happy with that. Yeah. And now we start writing books, and we're getting a you know some some fame, if I, if I <laughs> use that in speech marks as I have it in my car. How are you coping? How are you how are you coping with that? How are you coping with people knowing you, talking about you? I say what's what's amusing is I'll just go sideways on this. Is I was on um, I was on BBC Politics on Sunday, yesterday, just gone, and um, I've got a four year uh, four year old at home and. Um, so I was, it was in the living room and I'd, I'd pre-recorded BBC Politics on, on Thursday. So it was in the living room and I knew I was about to come on screen. So he's there, he's sitting there, my little four-year-old, and he's talking to me. And then I come on TV and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, you're on TV. And I was just like, I was like, oh gosh, yeah, I am. And then he's looking at me and he's looking at the TV and he's looking at me and he's like, but you're here. And I'm just like, yeah, I know. He's like, but you're on TV. And I was just like, I know. And he's just like are there two daddies? <laughs> I'm just like, no, there's definitely only one daddy. But it, I really, really wish I'd recorded it because his face, it was, it was one of those moments that I seems to live with me. It was so cute because he just couldn't understand how daddy was on TV at the same time as being in the living room. And it took me about 40 minutes. I still don't think he got it because he was just like, he was just shouting around the house going, I don't understand this at all. He was so confused. But that, that was quite amusing. So it was my, it was my first... Um, we'll give him 10 years and he'll be embarrassed you're on TV. Yeah, no doubt at all. No doubt at all. Well, his interest lasted about 45 seconds yeah. after that because he wanted to go and watch Gojetters. But um, no, I think my parents were really bemused to start with because you know, I'd been in a corner shop. I'd, I, I was a pharmacist. And I'd never, ever told any of them that I was writing books. I'd said, you know, I, I fancy writing a book. And I think they just thought it was something that I'd kept talking about. But then when I delivered... And I said, I've got a publishing deal. I still don't think they quite understood it. But when when they saw, when Streets of Darkness got published and then we, we hit the national bestseller list, it was in all supermarkets. And it was like, there was posters and billboards and bus stops were, were full of Streets of Darkness. And they were, everywhere they were going, they could see the book. You know, there was a really big advertising campaign. They were just like, I don't think it's a very little book that he's written. I think he actually <laughs> has written something decent. He has written something. And I think it's probably that moment. Um, and subsequently, I think the book launches, that's when they realise, because we've had, we've had sort of, you know, really major book launches at the Bradford Literature Festival. Um, and we've had sort of three sold out events. Um, and every year it just seems to get busier. I mean, the, 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 um, the book launch for One Way Out, I think sold out in about five days. And we had, we had a, we were over, so we sold like 300 tickets and then we had like a waiting list. And I think at those events, because my mum and dad say Waterstones is, is, is heaving, we're selling loads of books, I'm being interviewed. And at that point, they're just like, we, don't, we, we think he actually is a writer now, you know, because yeah. they, they always see me as a pharmacist first. And then as a writer, something in the background. But I think they're starting to realise that it's something that's actually almost like 50-50 as part of me now. Um, but yeah, they're very proud of me. And they, um, but I think they're still utterly bemused that this, this boy who never got more than a grade C in English... Uh, has managed to become a best-selling author. They, they, books. they, they, they yeah. just can't quite get, Flogging out get water over it. Yeah. yeah, my sister, uh, who's a, who's Lister, she was the English scholar. She got the A's and she got the A and A level in English. She was always, and it's amusing now because we're twins, and she's always like, she's just like, I can't believe you know, because she, she was so useless at English, and I'm just like, yeah, I know, and she's like, I could still write a better book than you, and I'm nah. like, I really don't think you could, darling. Do you know what I mean? Now you're um, famous. Yeah. Oh, she'll she'll sometimes she'll she'll read an early draft and she'll she'll start getting her red pen out, and I'm like, just put your red pen away, love. You know, I don't really care where the commas and full stops go. It's just no. it's just the the storyline that you you need to comment on. Yeah. 
And how are you coping with that then? Are you do you like it? Do do, do people come up to you and say, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, um, and, and and do you like it? Because I mean, you hear people don't you say, well, when I get that sort of attention regularly, I struggle with it, or I don't like it, or I really do like it, but I like it, but I don't like it when people come up to me in a restaurant or how. No, I think um, I'm at the I'm at the pharmacy most days, so most of my attention comes from there because the patients will come in, or and we've got we've got a stand there and the books are there for sale, and I think it's one of my staff that are most bemused and they find it weird because they just see me as I'm at the pharmacist, and I've been with you know some of them for like, you know ten twelve years I've been working with them, so they just see me as that kind of annoying boss syndrome, or you know they they see me every day all day, so I'm just one of the team, but then sometimes people will come in and they'll be like, is that the author? <laughs> you know, and and they, they they kind of put me on a pedestal, and my staff are just like, "Who him? Oh yeah, he writes them books." And they treat me with a complete disdain and contempt. My staff, they have no time for this author business whatsoever. And patients come in sometimes, or fans might come in, and they want a signed copy of the book. And I think the juxtaposition of those two worlds is really quite it quite yeah. it amuses me most of the time. Um, but no, I, I don't. I think it, it's nice. I don't. I, I don't. Um, I don't get sort of hassled or anything like that about yeah. the books um, but you know if I'm, if I'm in Bradford or Waterstones I always get treated really nicely and uh, people have been largely you know well mostly uh, overwhelmingly positive about the books I mean it's 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 uh, they are hard hitting crime thrillers same well I was going to say you deal uh, with some subject I mean you touched yeah. on the grooming thing there you, 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 yeah you, race you, relations you're not, you know this isn't a sort of a a Jack Reacher trotting into town, just having a fight, winning and leaving. There's a lot no, going they're, on. No, they're it? here and now, so they're very, they're, they're, you know, they're politically charged. They're about the times that we live in, race relations. Uh, I mean, Streets of Darkness is, a, you know, race riots. We've got grooming in book two. Mm. We've got honour killings in book three, and we've got uh, terrorism in book four. So I, I, I never wanted to write books that were that, that people could say, yeah, it's just like that other book, mm. you know. And I, I, I explore the Asian community, and you know, my books are, you know, they're, they're a social profile of the times we live in, and they do deal with racism. Uh, I mean, you know, brown people can be racist. Mm. You know, they always talk about white on brown racism, but nobody ever talks about brown on brown racism. Mm. Well, we need to talk about that because I, I, I tend to, I tend to see so many, so many um, people in in the Asian community who, who quite rightly will will highlight the fact that there have been instances of racism, but ultimately, in the, within their own communities, they can be quite racist and and and, and profile people against whether it's caste, whether it's religion. Mm you know, colour, creed, it, it all feeds into one big toxic narrative. And, mm. I, and I simply want to explore that always in a crime thriller, so I'm never preaching. But I, 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 do, I, I do think, and, 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 and the majority of readers who contact me say, when you finish the end, when, it, when you read the end of one of my books, it'll stay with you for a while and you'll ask yourself questions and some of them uncomfortable. Mm. And, and that's my goal in the books is that you don't just finish it and go, right, next book, let's start yeah, it. Yeah, the where's the next that, one? Yeah. yeah, it stays with you and you ask yourself questions um, and it, it lingers there. And, and uh, But also, you know, I, I like the pace and drama that I, I write the books. You know, they're, they're quick. They're all short, mm. snappy chapters. There's always multiple storylines going on. Um, and, where, and where do you think Harry can go? Do you see Harry as a... A six book man, a ten book man. A... That's a really good question. Because, I mean, because, I've got two because, books. To left. be fair, I mean, I love the early Jack Reacher books. Mm. I really did. But even I, towards the end, was thinking, oh, come on. Come I think. On. Um, but I've then, been... you know, Lee Charles has, you know, he's done okay. Yeah, God. It? Yeah, he pays my bills. Same, <laughs> same publisher. <laughs> pays my wages. <laughs> um, I think. Writers just tend to know when it's time. I mean, I've done I've done five books in four years, all Harry Verdi. I took a year off uh, after writing One Way Out just because the delivery was so tough. And mm. 
one way I, you know it, it, it was quite bruising to write because I, I think I put Harry through that much and obviously if I'm putting him through it I'm putting myself through it and I, I, I struggled to get back to reality with it at times you know because it was such a bru- it was really emotional writing one way out because I I subverted all of the expectations of sort of terrorism and, and you know 18 hours of Armageddon in Bradford was, was a tough delivery um so I took a year out, but I mean, I've got two books left in my contract. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to writing those. I don't know that I, I see him. He's when he stops talking to me, it's time to stop writing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the best way to sell it yeah, is that when the when Harry, when I wake up in the morning and he's not bugging me, or he's not doing something. You always get my, my books are always a set piece. So I always get a set piece that I think I want to write to. So, um, they would just seem to keep forming fully landed. You know, and I remember the launch for Girls Zero, which is book two. I was sitting in Waterstones and I just looked up to the ceiling and it's it's in the old wool exchange in Bradford. It's gothic, bohemian architecture. It's an absolutely magnificent building. And I just looked up to the ceiling, you know, a hundred foot up and there was a dead body hanging from the ceiling. And I just thought to myself, How the hell did she get up there? Yeah. And she just did not stop talking to me. She just kept saying, I'm still here. You need to figure out who put me here. Harry needs to figure it out. And then I I figured out while she was there and then when Harry gets lowers her down her, she, she's quite clearly dead her eyes are stitched closed yeah. but she starts blinking and how the hell does a dead body blink and I was like oh my god but you know that's what the, that's what happens and then Harry's got to figure it out somehow but because that set piece was so fully formed she didn't stop talking to me and then Harry didn't stop talking to me because he was like I've got to figure out who's doing this yeah. um, and it's the same with every one of my books is something happens um, so with One Way Out it was just I just had this vision of an explosion in the entire world looking at Bradford but I wanted the army there I wanted GCHQ I wanted snipers and all the buildings I wanted heli- Apache helicopters I wanted the entire world looking at the city of Bradford while my hero tries to f- stop Armageddon from happening okay. and that was just the scene sets the set piece of at the end of the book I wanted the you know Sky News BBC CNN the entire world looking at Bradford and one guy standing atop a uh, in, in front of a uh, in front of a building, looking at the world's media, thinking I'm about to save the day. I mean, that's just a great, it's a great set piece, isn't it? <laughs> well, he's, well, for me, Harry's done well because I'm on book one, and it's amazing he's still got a job. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you'll find that a things lot. aren't going well. Uh, <laughs> the first part of book one, let me tell you. So uh, you mentioned it. Tell me a bit about the Bradford Literature Festival. I'm uh, uh, an advocate for Bradford, a member of Bradford Breakthrough. I'm very excited about Bradford Live opening when that gets mm. going. I want everybody to know about that. Tell me about Bradford Literature Festival. I don't know enough about it. Yeah, uh, it's um, a, a wonderful literature festival uh, which was started off by um, Saima Aslam and Erna Qureshi uh, back in, gosh, 2014, I want to say, maybe 15. No, 16, in fact. Um, and in a city like Bradford, which is really multicultural, it was important to have arts represented in a really significant way. So I think the festival started off, you know, relatively small to start with, but it has expanded to be one of the biggest literature festivals on the circuit. And what's really amazing about it is it's so diverse. It's not just about books. It's about theatre. It's about poetry. It's about live music performances, obviously about books, um, politics, race relations. Um, it's such a diverse festival, which which looks to include and incorporate every facet of society. Um, it's just gone from strength to strength. I think it's actually the biggest thing in the Bradford calendar uh, on an annual basis. And because my books are so Bradford-centric, mm. um, we, we've we fall into this thing where I, uh, my, I always have a book launch on the first Friday at the festival, um, which is always a really like a nice way to kick it off because it's a busy event. Yeah, it's a win-win, yeah. It's a busy event. It's Bradford at first. Um, and uh, I think that it's important to have the North represented. You know, because we talk about the Hay Festival. Mm. We talk about... Um, 
all the big festivals tend to be down south where it's just really important that we've got representation up north as well to have a really big literature festival um, and get as many of the people in the city behind it as possible uh, this year because I don't have a book coming out I've, I'm actually shooting a 15 minute short called uh, No Ordinary Life yeah which is about my dad in the corner shop it's right. about it's about a brown bloke opening up a corner shop and going through adversity um, and basically connecting with you know, a few people who are racist on the estate to form friendships, to form bonds with them, and to see how two people from completely opposite parts of the world, opposite parts of the social spectrum, opposite every in every single way, can over a period of 35 years become best mates. And it's over a, a shared love of the game of snooker. So that's not a documentary, that's a... a no, it's a, a, mo- it's a 50 minute short based yeah. on... It's, true, it's a true story. Yeah. Uh, it's based on, sure. you know, my dad became an avid snooker player, basically, and... He managed to turn lots of preconceptions on their heads because he became, you know, pretty handy with the snooker cue. Yeah. Um, so there it's, you a, go. it's sport, a story about sport bridges many things, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you know yeah. the times we're living. You know, with the Brexit stuff, and you know, there's lots of polarizing um, opinions out there. Um, I think it's. I wanted to showcase a 15-minute short that shows that actually integration is an active process, not a passive one. You know, you can't integrate from behind your door. And I think we live in a world where home deliveries for supermarket stuff. People never need to go out anymore. Amazon deliver everything to doorstep. You can actually exist by never leaving your front door quite comfortably because everything will come to you. But what happens then is integration becomes really difficult because you don't meet lots of different people. Back when I was growing up, you had the corner shop, you had the butcher, you had the baker, you had the chippy. You, you, had to, you simply had to go outside. You, you could not exist. To get stuff. To get yeah, stuff. Yeah. You had to talk to the corner shop. You, yeah. you had to talk to the baker, yeah. the butcher, the chippy, hairdresser. Nobody would come to your home. And because you had to do that, you had to speak the language, you had to meet different people, different races. Uh, and that's why integration was really positive for those first and second generation immigrants. Mm. Now, because you don't have to do any of that, we almost work in a way, uh, end up in a place where if you never need to leave your, leave your front door and speak to a member of the opposite race, opposite sex, then it's very difficult to say that we're integrating. Mm. Uh, and all of a sudden it becomes us and them. Um, so I wanted to create this short just to remind people that integration is an active process, not a passive process. And only by saying hello, how are you, to lots of different types of people can we break down barriers. So if we, we're going to see that the literature, the festival. Sorry, yeah, it's on the, the first festival. Friday of the Literature Festival. And when does that begin? 20, I want to say 26th of June. It's the oh, last okay, Friday. Okay, so it's June. End of, end of, end of June, June this year. Yeah. And, and once, once you've presented that film there, where else can people see it? Yeah, we will be um, showcasing it there and then we will be submitting it to the um, short film circuit competitions. Um, and yeah, it was ongoing conversations at the moment about where it can be screened. In my mind, I'd like to send it to the schools network in Bradford just to show all of the schools that, you know, even in tough times and even when people have got preconceptions, um, you can turn them on the head by simply showing who you are, uh, not not in inverted commas, what you are. Yeah. And would it ultimately end up on your website? Yes, it will be yeah. uh, on my website. There'll be access to it from that. Okay, I, I ask a number of people this when they come in. Just um, just to wrap up, just give me a bit of advice to, let's say you bump into an 18-year-old version of yourself hmm. who's mentioned the fact that he's doing a bit of writing and he's got some ideas about being an author. What, what, what's, the, what's the best advice you can give to people? I think the most important thing is that you have to love what you do. Um, if you want to write a book to become retired and become really rich, that's the wrong reason for doing it. This is a very difficult process. Um, there are fifteen, sixteen thousand books published every month across all platforms. This is a massively competitive market. If you don't love what you do, there's no point in doing it. 
Um, but if you love what you do and you desperately want to become a writer and you like sitting there and creating stories, I'd say the first thing to do would be by, by Stephen King's book called On Writing, which is the absolute Bible. The first half of it is his life story. Interesting. Um, doesn't tell you how to write. The second half is the absolute A to Z of how to write a book. It's flawless. It's, it's absolutely what people need to read. I never went to any literary courses or did anything like that. I'd spent a lot of time figuring it out by myself. But I will say that the moment I read that book, everything fell into place. And that's, that's the bit of magic that I needed because I followed it to the letter, what he did, and I, became, I got published. Um, and the other thing is to, you know, people say write what you know. And yes, that's, I think it's, it should be write what you emotionally know. Uh, I'm not a detective. Um, I, I'm, I abide by all, all sections of the law. I'm in a solicitor's firm, I better say that. Um, but if you write what you emotionally know, you can create the rest of it, you know, in terms of the, the fiction part of it. But you need to be able to connect with your readers, and I think you have to do that emotionally. So Harry's emotions come from me in terms of mm. getting, getting, getting into his mind. That's important. Um, and the last thing to say is read a lot. It's very difficult to write a book unless you, are, you, you read in your genre, in and around it, um, and you understand where the market is going. So, for example, when I wrote Streets of Darkness, all of my chapters were 1,500 words because that's two pages of a magazine article. And I could tend to read that without turning the page. But if I have to turn the page and it's three or four pages, I'll come back to it tomorrow, and then tomorrow never happens. Yeah. So while Streets of Darkness is 1,500 words a chapter, Girl Zero then came down to 1,200, because people are, we, we live in the Netflix and binge-watching era. Mm. People don't have the time. Everything's Snapchat. Everything's a quick app, a quick read. People, have, people want instant gratification. Mm. So I shortened it for Girl Zero. Then you get to City of Sinners, and every chapter's about a thousand words and then you get to one way out and every chapter is about 700 words wow. so i'm shortening the chapters to mirror what's happening in the marketplace to create pace um that sounds really technical and boring but it's not because you you, ch- you become quicker yourself because you become more impatient as you write so i think you know read a lot write a lot um accept that you will fail many times i failed for 10 years i got 66 rejections i wrote <laughs> 1.2 million words unsuccessfully before i found 85,000 that hit a bestseller uh, it's really important to understand, accept, and be really comfortable with the fact that this is going to take some time and you will be rejected lots. But do not quit at your first rejection or your 60th rejection um, because, quite simply, if you love doing something, you will get better at it. And the more you do something, it's almost inevitable that you will succeed. It just may take some time. Brilliant. Amit, thanks so much for coming in. Really appreciate Cheers, that. Uh, we'll obviously uh, see you at the Bradford Literature Festival and good luck with the film and uh, particularly good luck with the TV series if that gets uh, really gets going. Remember us when you're famous. So brilliant. So I hope you enjoyed that, folks. Great for Amit to come in. Uh, as I say, we met at the Bradford Law Site dinner where he was the guest speaker. Indeed, uh, yeah. And was engaging and uh, humorous. Uh, I've seen your <laughs> reviews. They're very good. Again, if you interested in anything Amit's had to speak about please go read some of his books, his latest book is One Way Out and uh, available at all good bookstores Indeed, uh, and Bradford Waterstones which is my favourite bookstore just because I set some of the books there In the world, <laughs> brilliant, thank you very much Cheers You're welcome.